Well, if there was one name you would not be surprised to find on the blacklist in the Easter story, it would be Judas. Not Judas Noble, but Judas Iscariot, the traitor, the betrayer. We've heard a little bit of his story, perhaps some reflections, but I want to raise some questions around Judas this morning. But before we do, kids, students, remember I said I need your help. In a little while, I'm going to share the parable of the, the sower. Remember that story, the parable of the sower, the guy who was scattering seed? How many of you remember that story? Well, there are four kinds of soil that Jesus talks about, and I need you to help teach mom, dad, brother, sister, and really all the adults in this room about those soils. And so I, I need you to, to kind of help me out. And when I say each one, I need you to, to show them what it looks like. All right, the first soil is the path. And we're going to do this. Go ahead and do it with me. This is the path. And then we're going to find the rocky soil, which we're just going to show all the rocks that are in the soil. And then there's going to be thorns, like thorny bushes. And we're going to kind of put our fingers together all like this. And then there's going to be the good soil. And we're just going to put our hands like this where the good seeds are able to grow. And so when I get to that part, I'm going to remind you, but I'm going to need you to do those because we're going to say it a couple times. So let's practice one more time. We have the path. Good. We have the rocky ground. We have the thorns. Right? And we have the good soil. You're ready. All right. Stay tuned. I'll let you know. Back to Judas. You know, I find it fascinating that the name Judas actually means the Lord be praised or praise the Lord. Isn't that kind of ironic? Because now that name might as well be associated like with Benedict Arnold, right? It's, the, it's one of the worst characterizations you could give someone as a betrayer, a backstabber. I want to read to you a couple of the scenes out of the scriptures that pertain to Judas, just to set the, 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 the context, to hear it from God's word. But I, I want to give you a little context. We're in Matthew chapter 26. There's always Bibles in the back. You can grab one any week that you're here to read along. And really every week we've been in Matthew 26. That chapter encompasses so much in the story of Jesus, his last day or the last couple days of Jesus's life. <clears throat> and we're going to look at two different scenes. But a few days before this last supper, that you heard Judas speak about. Um, Jesus was at someone's house, probably a dinner party, and a woman anoints his head with an expensive perfume. Not like Chanel expensive, but like months and months wages, maybe even a whole year's wages. This was like primo, primo perfume, and the disciples take issue with this because all of a sudden they're becoming really kind of holy men, and they said, golly, we could have sold that perfume, taken all the money and given it to the poor. And I wonder if Judas was actually maybe even leading that conversation, that disappointment, because Judas had a habit of kind of helping himself to the, the money bag. He kind of managed the finances for Jesus and the disciples, and it said he would routinely help himself to that. Maybe he was wanting to maybe not help the poor as much as maybe what the disciples were saying. But, but then right after that, this is what the Scripture says. It says, then one of the twelve... The one called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him, Jesus, over to you? And they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity 
to hand him over. A few days after that, the disciples would gather for the Last Supper. After that, Jesus would go to the garden to pray. And then we have the betrayal. But let me, I, I learned something this week that I never had thought about. Jesus regularly went to the, the Mount of Olives to Gethsemane to pray. And there's other passages we read uh, in the Gospels where Jesus is praying for Jerusalem, weeping over Jerusalem. So Jesus had a regular prayer place, which I think is important for us to remember. It's good to have places that we just designate for prayer in our lives. Uh, but then he prayed three times that night. And you remember the story, he brought a few of the other disciples. They all went up, but a few of them went a little further, but they fell asleep. Jesus prayed multiple times, and it was with such anguish. You know, Luke says his sweat became like drops of blood. He was so intense in prayer because he knew what was coming. But here's what I never realized. There were kind of a couple mounds or hills. Jerusalem was on one, and the Mount of Olives was on the other, and the Kidron Valley was right in between. They just called it the valley. But I realized when Jesus prays over Jerusalem, he's, he's probably in the Mount of Olives looking across the valley at Jerusalem. And those three times he prayed that night, more than likely, especially on the last one, perhaps he saw the gates of Jerusalem open and a mob with torches making their way out, led by Judas, making that long walk across the valley as he just watched that final moment of his life getting closer and closer and closer. And then he says these words to his disciples um, right before we show this slide. Let me read a couple um, words to you. It's in Matthew 40, or 26, 46, 45 through 46, sorry. It says, and then Jesus returned to his disciples and said to them, this is after the third time, perhaps he sees this mob coming toward him. He goes, are you still sleeping and resting? Look. The hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus saw him coming, and then we have this scene of the betrayal. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And with them, a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now, the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. And then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And in that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me there. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then it says, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Those are some powerful scenes gut-wrenching scenes. We, knew, we know what Judas did, but have you ever wondered why he did it? I think there's at least a couple reasons. Uh, Steve alluded to at least one of them. <clears throat> it could have been that Judas was just greedy. 
We already know that he was stealing a little bit from Jesus and the other disciples for his own whatever he wanted. But maybe he was just waiting. Maybe he had given up on Jesus, and he was just waiting for the bounty to maybe grow a little bit. If he's going to betray this good man, he might as well make it worth his while. And maybe he was just waiting, and now he finally felt the time was there that he could probably get a little more coin if he sold out Jesus. It's one option. Another option is maybe he was just trying to force the issue. Judas uh, came from a little further out than what the other disciples did, and he was kind of this militia guy, this military guy. Like he, he was one ready to overthrow Rome. He was kind of a little bit on the more violent side, aggressive side, and he truly believed that the Messiah was going to be this, this uh, conquering hero, and he was all signed up for that. And when Jesus didn't pan out to be the Messiah like he thought, when he was disappointed and frustrated um, because Jesus just wasn't filling the bill, perhaps he just stopped believing and was going to move on, or he needed to force the issue. If Jesus wasn't going to initiate it, he would initiate it, the battle for him. And if Jesus truly was the Messiah, if he could force it all, the perfect storm to come together, then Jesus would have to rise up and display his power uh, and finally kind of take control, which meant to take over Rome, to get them out of the land that was supposed to be God's land for God's people. You know, anytime someone betrays someone else, there's always a few passions involved. It could be greed, anger, fear, lust, envy, personal ambition, hatred. Every movie, every story that has betrayal in it has one or more of those things going on, and, and it's not hard to see one or more of those was going on in the life of Judas. <clears throat> but you know, there's another question that has bothered me more than why. Um, because it's a question that honestly does, I have a hard time understanding how Judas could do this, but this question also all of a sudden brings me into the frame of reference into this story with him. It brings you into the story as well. And the question is how? How could Judas, one of the followers of Jesus, the son of God, betray him with lip service, with a kiss on the cheek? Think about Jesus and Judas for just a moment. Jesus chose him to be one of the 12. Isn't there something powerful when you're chosen to be on a team, when you're recruited specifically to be a part of something? Like, it brings allegiance out of you. Jesus chose him. Judas was given power with the other disciples, probably multiple times to go out, to heal sick and diseases and the cast out demons. J Judas would have had the very power of Jesus in him performing miracles. Think about that. Judas was a, had a front row seat into the other miracles of Jesus, drinking perhaps some of the best wine ever made in human history at the wedding of Cana, seeing a dead man come out of a grave, ra raised from the dead with Lazarus, he would have had like the most unlimited buffet, food never ending at the feeding of the 5,000, which probably involved way more people than even 5,000. And he picked up all of the leftovers 
along with the other disciples, 12 baskets full. He, he was a part of these miracles. Judas had the privilege of having a, a special seat at the teachings of Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus talked to the crowds, but he really discipled those few and put his teaching in them. And, and I can only imagine, you know, we, we have, you know, the words of Jesus in Scripture, but I wonder all the other times. 24-7, these disciples and Judas was with them, eating with them, talking with them, watching Jesus interact, doing life with him. And it was God in the flesh. For a few years, this is what he witnessed and was a part of. He saw wealthy influencers who elevated themselves above others, humbled and used for God's purposes. And he saw the poor being raised up and valued unlike never before in their culture. <clears throat> all of that. How in the world does someone who experiences all of that and experiences daily the very Son of God, God in the flesh, how do you get to the point where you betray that man with a kiss? To answer that, and I think to even bring us into the story, I want to share with you one of the stories that Jesus told earlier in his ministry. It's the parable of the sower. Kids, you with me? You ready? <clears throat> I want to read this to you, and I would even say, adults, everybody, you're going to see some bold words on the screen, or you're going to see those words. You're welcome to say those out loud as I read it. All right, but listen to what Jesus says, because I think there's some clues as to how someone could start so well with Jesus, but end up in such a bad place. Here's a story. It's in Matthew chapter 13. It says, then Jesus told them many things in parables, saying a farmer went out to sow his seed. You've seen the pictures, a little sack, and they would kind of reach in and scatter seed. A farmer went out to sow a seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path. And birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up. The plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew and choked out, which choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Not just the words, but let him hear it. Take it in. And then Jesus later pulls his disciples, those twelve, including Judas. And this is what the scripture said. Then he listened to what the parable of the sower means, Jesus says. When anyone who hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand that the evil one comes and snatches it away, snatches away what was sown in his heart, this is the seed that was sown on the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they have not rooted their lives more deeply in God, more deeply in Christ, they have no root. Um, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes be, uh, because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among 
the thorns, refer to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. This, this is a seed that actually started to grow, right? And it was probably producing some fruit, but then it got choked out. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and you guys did amazing. Thank you. Even some of the adults, you were, they, they were following you. That's good. You know, when I read this parable, I wonder, especially when Jesus was explaining it to the disciples, I wonder if he made particular eye contact, especially to Judas, when he said, one of those kinds of soil. <clears throat> so let's do a little Bible application. What kind of soil do you think was in the heart, the soul, and mind of Judas? Perhaps it was the hard, worn, trampled path. You can still do it when I say it. It's okay. The path, right? That his heart was so hard it never had the opportunity to even get in, and so it was snatched away. Maybe you think that. Perhaps it was the rocky ground. He started well with Jesus, but when the persecution, when all of a sudden it wasn't as popular or the, the religious leaders, those in power, all of a sudden were frowning upon it, perhaps because he didn't have any roots, he just tapped out. He faded out. He withered under the heat of temptation. Perhaps you might think he was the soil with the thorny bushes. <clears throat> Perhaps Judas was going along. Perhaps he was bearing some fruit, buying in, but then other things, other desires became much more important to him, especially when his expectations weren't being met, especially when maybe there was some greed and some sin that was allowed to grow in his life, and it started choking out the good stuff that Jesus was trying to put in them to the point where he became unfruitful. And the thorns or the rocks took over his life. Judas choked himself from the true source of hope and security. Perhaps he was the good soil. No, we know that's not true. But the question is, what about you? In this day, April 7th, what is the soil in your life right now? The fact that we're here means we, our soil, we may not be 100% happy with the, the, the kind of soil that's in our lives, but we're here. And I think the desire, the hope is that, you know what, God, I really do want to have good soil. I, I want you to plant good things in my life. I want to see fruit grow. Like, I, I want to glorify you in my life. That, that's ultimately what I want. Now, maybe I haven't lived up to it, but, but God, I, I want that good soil. And if that's the case, and I hope it is, the question is, how do you cultivate that? Because it doesn't happen by accident, especially when Jesus told this parable, the ground needed worked, it needed, it needed fertilized, it needed, if it was going to grow, it needed some help. And so how do we help produce that good soil so that God can plant those good seeds, not just for a little bit, but so your life becomes a fruitful crop for God's glory? As I thought about it, I would... I thought there were at least maybe four things that we can 
consider now, but keep coming back to as we think about how we create the good soil in our life. The, the first one is that you just simply must prioritize your relationship with God. All of these sound very, very simple. They're not simplistic, but it's not hard. You have, to, you have to actually desire God more than anything else. And so we have to, as you test the soil, we have to test our desires. We have to test our wants. And really be honest, say, is there something I want more in life? Is there something more pulling at me or that I'm pursuing more so than God? Or if I looked at your Facebook page for a month or if you were to kind of examine your own life and say, uh, what are the actions, the thoughts, the attitudes that are characterizing my life every day? Would there be some rocks and thorns perhaps in your life? We have to be honest about it, but, but we have to prioritize. We have to desire to have a relation. We have to desire to want to end with Jesus the way we started. Which leads us to the second one, that we just have to confess where we, those rocks, those thorns, where maybe we have a hard heart. We, we have to be quick to confess those sin, and not just confess it, but to move towards Jesus. To move away from the rocks, the thorns, and to move towards him so that his life, uh, his fruit can be produced in our life. <clears throat> and when we find, when we examine, when we find maybe some of the weeds start popping up, we just have to be quick to confess them. But, but make no mistake, if you have unconfessed sin or unrepentant, repentance means turning away and moving in the other direction, where we're not willing to do that, it's going to impact the soil, soil of your life and the fruit of your life. It will. This is why we've spent uh, in every single one of these services during Lent just a time of confession so that we learn that posture of just confessing so that God's assurance and forgiveness can come in to heal us so the good things can be cultivated. The third thing is that we just have to be with Jesus. I love one of the stories. It's the transfiguration. I don't know if you remember this. Jesus went up on the mountainside. He took a few of the disciples with him, not Judas this time. But he was transformed into kind of his glory. <clears throat> and then this is one of the times that we actually had God the Father speaks and people hear it. And he says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Not just with the ear. Listen to him. In John chapter 15, it's this great parable of, of the gardener, and it talks about that we need to abide, that we need to remain connected to the source, to God, to Jesus, if we want to bear fruit. Listen to him. Remain connected to him. And really, there's, there's two easy ways that we do it. One is taking in the very words of God, of Jesus himself. It's reading the scriptures. This is why we kind of have these Bibles with little helps in them that we encourage you to read them. Like, we have to, be, we have to get the word in us if we're going to be able to truly hear it and live out of it. I, I, when Jesus was tempted right at the beginning of his ministry, do you remember what he quotes back to the devil? Scripture. It was in him, so it could come out of him. And the only way to do that is to read it. Well, there's many ways you can do that, but we just have to read our Scriptures. And the other thing we do is pray both audibly praying, you know, praising God, you know, asking, you know, those petitions, giving thanks, um, 
you know, it's, it's us talking to God, but it's also us listening to God, learning how to just be still and quiet and to hear the voice of God in our life, taking in his word, having that conversation with God. That is how you are with him. And if you are doing those things in increasing measure, measure you're helping cultivate the good soil in your life. And then lastly, uh, we just have to kind of be on a God hunt each day. We have to look for God's movement in our lives, what he's doing in our life, what he's doing in the lives of others, what he's doing in our communities. Look for God's uh, activity and then join him in what he's doing. Here's what I can promise you, that if you have a desire to not just start with Jesus but end with him, and you desire that more than anything else, and you are confessing, getting rid of those rocks and thorns in your life, and they're gonna come, like Jesus knows it. Um, but if we are returning back to him, if we are with him, right, and taking in his word and praying and we are looking for his activity, I promise you that kind of soil is going to grow amazing, amazing fruit in your life. It's amazing how <clears throat> someone can start so well but end so poorly. But friends, if you would apply those things if you would hear the parable of the sower, if you would seek him, confess, uh, if you would um, spend time with him and look for his activity um, and keep going, keep going, keep going, what you are gonna hear at the end of that journey is well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, friend. Can you even believe what was able to happen through your life just because you were with me. That is my hope and prayer for you. The story of Judas is a tragedy in my mind. But you can see it's not hard to, to perhaps understand how someone um, could end up at a place where they never wanted. How someone can do things that they never thought they would do. This table... Um, is a reminder. This table actually ushers us back as those disciples so many years ago around the table with Jesus. Um, this table represents forgiveness. This table represents the journey to continue on. But at that last supper, we read, we read these words. And while they were eating, Jesus said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi, teacher. Surely you don't mean me. <clears throat> I would want to say the same thing. Perhaps you would say, Jesus, surely I'm not going to be the one that's going to betray you, to walk away from you, that's going to settle for rocks and thorns or in my life. Surely not me. Um, but I think if your passion is this, I think Jesus is gonna look back at you and, and say, you know what, I know it's not gonna be you. Keep going with me. Watch what we can do together. This table calls it to us. And so I, I would love to lead us just in a moment of prayer. Um, this is your time of confession of those hardness of heart, the rocks, the weeds, uh, maybe where you've given lip service to your faith but not truly been following. Because Jesus 
took a posture like this so that he could wrap his arms around you like that. He is ready to forgive. He receives our confessions. And that is part of creating that good soil. So we're just going to take a minute or two and quiet. I'm going to open us, but then you're going to have the opportunity just to pray. Maybe it's prayers of desires, prayers of confession, recommitting yourself to be with Jesus. But join me in prayer now. Holy God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, even the story of Judas. It just reveals, as, as horrible as it is, it reveals that it's not hard for a person to end up where they didn't want to be. And so God, all of us have stumbled. Your scripture says we're all going to fall short. But God, some choose to remain. Some choose to come back. Some choose to confess. And God say, I want you more than anything else. And so God, we just open this time, ask that you would receive these prayers, these confessions that we bring to you now.